Welcome to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier life freelancing. I'm your host, Brendan Dunn, and today we have a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's the mind and spirit as it relates to entrepreneurship. You might not know this, but for the last few weeks, I've personally been struggling with quite a few of my own demons. My wife's been hospitalized for about three weeks now. And just yesterday, I discovered that she's probably going to be there another three or four weeks. You know, it's hard when your best friend, the person you love and the mother of your kids, is absent. It's hard on me, but it's especially hard on our two kids, Elizabeth and Fiona. And every day I wake up and I need to find a way to address where's mommy and when is she coming home. Next week, I'm going to be sending out a newsletter that is basically about how I've managed to still be able to create, um, you know, to be able to create while I'm going through what's shaping up to be one of the hardest times of my life, um, where all of my instincts are saying, you know, give up, go veg out on the couch, you have recurring revenue, stop, you know, just, you know, put on Netflix and, 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 and just, you know, take your mind off things. And as, you know, as freelancers and consultants and creators, what we do for a living is we build things, we create. And the act of creation requires certain atmospheric conditions. It requires a certain environment to allow us to thrive, to be able to produce. Um, so if you're not on my list yet, go over to freelancersweekly.com and you'll be able to find out next week about how I'm balancing uh, work with my home life right now and how I've been able to uh, launch the new semester of the Freelancers Guild, produce weekly content, uh, produce this podcast, and uh, you know blog weekly, and give, basically get everything that I need to get done done uh, without any sort of outside help. Um, so today I, I do have a special guest, uh, and her name is Sherry Walling. And Sherry is a clinical psycho psychologist who just happens to be married to an entrepreneur, uh, Rob Walling, who actually I interviewed on the last episode, episode 12. And if you're like me and you've been struggling with balancing work, life, and family, um, you're not going to want to miss our discussion. So without further ado, here's Sherry. So I am here with special guest, uh, Sherry Walling. Sherry and I actually, I think we met at the buffet line at MicroConf Europe a few months ago. And um, I, I heard Sherry give a talk, which was kind of a follow-up talk to a, a lightning talk that she gave at MicroConf Vegas on anxiety and uh, work-life balance and, and, and think, you know, basically things that I think most of us struggle with, we just kind of ignore or don't really give it the attention that we give our technical topics. So I wanted to bring uh, Sherry on. And Sherry's a, I think you're what, a clinical psychologist is the way to put it? I am a clinical psychologist, yes. So okay. I have a PhD in psychology. Okay, so that that's what that means. It doesn't mean, I am I was kind of confused about what the clinical part meant. Like if it meant you worked in, you know, in a health clinic or something, but um, what do I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it means I, I provide treatment and evaluation and services for people who have mental illness and then, you know, all manner of other kind of life concerns. So it does mean that I, I provide services. I'm a helper. I'm not, I'm not purely an academic or, um, um, a writer or something like that. 
Got it. So do you do mainly talk therapy or do you do kind of like more advanced work? Um, I do a lot of talk therapy um, in, in various like statuses of that. So some, some more advanced talk therapy. I'm not sure what you mean by more advanced, but, but um, so I do a lot of therapy with individuals. My primary area of expertise, I guess, is in post-traumatic stress disorder or other trauma-related problems. So I work a lot with people in the military or veterans or um, people who've survived various kinds of assaults or incidents of violence or crime. Got it. Cool. Uh, so it's pretty intense, but it's, it's, really, um, it's really interesting work. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, so I think a lot of my audience knows who Rob is, but we don't know who you are. So what got you into psychology? I mean, what, what was kind of the impetus behind it? Oh, that's a big question. But I think a lot of things kind of shape people's vocation. But there are two two experiences that I think pretty specifically formed me and helped me decide to go into psychology. And I think the first is that as a young person, when I was in high school and growing up, I was aware of a lot of people around me who were in a lot of pain, but who weren't really talking about it. You know, they seemed to be suffering in a lot of isolation and silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, a, I lost her to suicide when I was a senior in high school. And so I, I think it became, I'm aware of how dangerous that was. And then, um, you know, later on when I was in college, I spent a year living and, and working in West Africa. And I worked specifically with a group of, um, street girls or young women who were living, um, in the market in Accra in Ghana and they were part of a program where they were actually offered opportunities to become entrepreneurs, to start a business um, as a seamstress or doing hair. And so they were offered training and resources to start these micro businesses. But a lot of them um, were not successful. And it seemed due at least in part to their perceptions of themselves and their sense of self-value and you know, their kind of own beliefs that they might deserve a better life or that they didn't deserve a better life. And so I became really interested in how people's view of themselves and their belief about themselves and their experiences of pain or trauma, how that sort of shapes the trajectory of their life. And so, you know, when you're interested in those things, you become a psychologist. And so I decided to pursue a PhD so that I could have the flexibility of, of writing and teaching and also providing clinical services. Well, that is awesome. I mean, you're, you're doing something that you're legitimately passionate about, but most importantly, you're doing something that actually really helps people. You know, I, granted, I help people uh, with their business, but it doesn't even compare to anything that you do. So kudos on that. Um, okay, so you, you married a guy who ended up kind of, uh, I think Rob said that the company he was at, uh, kind of folded or something and he went out and became an, a, a independent contractor. Yep. What, uh, I, I think he had mentioned you were doing your PhD at the time and you had a young kid. What was that like? I mean, he worked from home. I imagine like me, he had a very hard time kind of turning off from work. Like there wasn't a clear, like this is work and this is home, uh, boundary. Yeah. And, you know, that definitely has impacted me and my family. I'm sure it probably impacted your family, in a, you know, to a degree. What kind, like, how did you, what was that like? And how did you get through that? I think we, we had to first figure out that that was a problem. You know, I, I think 
in marriage, there's a lot of moments where you're like, I'm just sort of disgruntled or frustrated with you, but I don't really know why. And so we had to take a real look at like the moments where we felt torn or pulled in two directions or where Rob felt like he couldn't fully focus on his work because there was a baby crying or because, you know, I decided to run off to the grocery store real quick and left him with the baby, but he's in the middle of something. And so we had to like diagnose those moments and sort of figure out what is the problem. And, um, it, it was important for us to make as hard of a boundary as we could between work and family life for in both directions, because, you know, when, when you're working from home, it's sort of easy to be the one who's waiting for the cable guy or, um, you know, to watch the baby for a little bit while I go do this one thing. And I was asking a lot of those kinds of things of Rob, cause I'm like, well, you're home, you're here anyway, you might as well do this. But there are some days where that's fine, you know, and there are definitely a level of flexibility with working at home that's wonderful for a young family. But there are also times when a level of focus is needed and it's not okay to be interrupted. And so we kind of had to map that out on the calendar. Like what are the, what are the blocks of time when Rob is working and there can't, he can't be interrupted and we need care for the baby or I need to be with the baby because that kind of clarity really um, helped us with those those missed moments of like, I want you to do this thing and you're not doing it. And I'm a little bit frustrated with you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had to be really clear about communicating about it and being really honest about what we needed and not try to be more flexible than we actually were, if that makes sense. Yeah. So rather than kind of like trying to multitask, juggling a baby while writing code, you just basically said, okay, you know, this is when we're working and this is when we're not working. And there's no like gray area in between. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's tricky. It really is hard to work from home as, as you know, and many people do because you, um, it, it seems like it should be this great, easy, flexible, like time with the family thing, but you really still do have to work. So I think there's really a lot of discipline that goes into doing it well, both for, for, you know, you, the person who's working from home and, and for your family, for their sense of sanity. Yeah. It's been, I mean, I've, I've, I, I think kind of my way of uh, really approaching that. And I think a lot of people's way is to do, you know, go to a coffee shop or just get out of the house just as a way to kind of like have that separation between work and home. But you know, I mean, the thing that's helped me the most has been to have my office, which is kind of like no kids allowed. And, you know, when I'm in here, when the door is shut, I'm in work mode. And when I'm not in here, when the door is not shut, um, you know, if I'm helping out with my wife or just playing with my kids or whatever, like there is no looking at the phone. There is no like checking email, seeing if, uh, you know, a client needs something or, or whatnot. Um, and that's probably, that that's the way I fixed it. But I mean, it is so, I have to say with the iPhone and everything else, it is so hard to like have a, um, you know, a, a, a distinction between working and not working. And yeah. It's been hard. Yeah. You know, I really, I think everything we need to know, we could have learned from Mr. Rogers, but I love <laughs> when Mr. Rogers comes home, you know, and he's beginning his little song at the beginning of his show and he takes his sweater off and he changes into his like comfortable shoes. And there's that clear demarcation between 
work life and home life. And the more that we can do that in our minds and in our spaces, the way that we set up our homes so that you have your specific office and it's not a playroom and it's not a, it's not a hangout room. It's a workroom. I think those things do help make those psychological distinctions. I also know that we have some phone free zones in our family. Like, uh-huh. Unless there's something that's going on that needs to be monitored, like we don't have our phones at the dinner table, we don't have our phones in our bedroom. You know, we 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 are flexible when we need to be. If Rob's in the middle of a launch or I have a, you know, a vulnerable client, we can make exceptions. But generally, those are spaces that are family spaces, and they're, you know, we don't monitor our phones or check our email during those times or places. Yeah, that's that's actually a really interesting point. Um, there was something that I, I had read, I forgot where, where they, they brought up the idea of a, a time to screen. Like, how long after waking up does it take you to check your mail or open up your laptop or something like that? And um, this is something that I, you know, I have a lot of customers who are in Australia, New Zealand, who are doing stuff when I'm asleep. And I always feel like the sense of urgency in the morning to check my phone and make sure that there's no, like issue with an Australian customer of mine or something. Right. And, um, but I really had to, I mean, my wife and I are really trying to keep the phones out of the bedroom. I mean, we don't have a TV in our bedroom, which I think is huge. There's no, like, we're really trying and it's been hard. It's probably been like learning how to write code or, or, uh, launch a startup or something like that to me at least is infinitely easier than learning how to balance, home life and giving the kids the attention, you know, they need and everything and everything else, Mm. which, you know, I I don't know if that's universal, but it has been for me at least. And in one sense, it's because you love it and it interests you and, you know, you could do it every moment of the day. But I also, you know, it, sometimes that's driven by anxiety, the constant checking and the, is there something I need to respond to? And what happened with that one situation? Like when it's anxiety driven and not passion driven, then that level of engagement, I think is probably pretty dangerous. Yeah. Actually, um, speaking of anxiety, after your talk at MicroConf Europe, when you, I think you highlighted unmanaged anxieties being, you know, the leading cause for poor performance and health problems and, and family issues and everything else. I've really tried to think like anytime that I feel like I need to look at my email, I'm always thinking like, is this out of boredom? Is it out of anxiety or is it out of just like a, you know, I think it's one thing to say, I'm going to check my mail once an hour, let's say, but to have that need to constantly be refreshing to see, you know, is something wrong? Do I, do, you know, is, am I missing anything? I think that's, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think the big issue is, and I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a, like, uh, I, I'm always thinking like 20, 30 years ago, none of this was an issue. Like I could go on a walk and I would be disconnected from reality and be able to kind of clear my head. But nowadays, you know, I have my phone with me, right. Or, you know, there is no disconnected state for most of us. And, um, I'm willing to bet that within a few few years or a few decades, there will be a lot of studies looking at how the uh, prevalence of information and connectivity has kind of affected the human psyche. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure this has already been started to, you know, be looked at or something, but. There's actually a, a woman at MIT, her name is Sherry Turkle, and she, I think her professorship is called something like 
she's the professor of the study of uh, technology and selfhood. It's some like really cool title like that. But she's written a couple books about this issue. Um, one is called Alone Together. And another one is called, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on it. But uh, she has really great advice, particularly for managing kind of um, psychological connectedness, like actually being with the people around you, not being with them through a screen or sitting with someone at dinner and looking at a screen, but actually really kind of being with your family, eye contact, focus. So she's got great ideas, especially for family life, managing technology and still being connected. So she's someone you might want to check out. Yeah, definitely. Could you could you maybe email me with the other like her info in the other book and I'll include sure. it in the show notes? For sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, on that note, like what are some of the I mean, what are are there any kind of like, you know, two or three bullet points that um that maybe you took from her book or that that you took from your own studies that could kind of help people um at least get on the path of managing their anxiety better? Yeah, I actually really love what you're doing in terms of asking yourself those questions. What's motivating this action right now? Is mm-hmm. it is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it boredom? Or do I actually have work I need to do? <laughs> um, and making those distinctions are really important in terms of being able to um, turn off when we need to turn off. Um, I think... You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but I think screen breaks are really helpful um, so that you can go on a run and not have your email notification, you know, beeping while you're running or so that you can have a family dinner and be with your family and not, you know, be aware or constantly hearing the buzz of an email coming in. Those kinds of disciplined or like intentional breaks from technology are really important for managing anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Tracking anxiety is important. Like, noticing what are your like individual signs that you're too anxious that you're not doing well are you waking up at two in the morning are you chewing your nails are you drinking more than you normally do you know what are your indicators that say wait all is not well with me and and really paying attention to those and when you do notice that for five nights in a row you've woken up at three in the morning and you can't stop thinking about something that that's time to to sort of up your self-care, whether that means going to see a therapist or getting more exercise or taking a weekend away, or, you know, that can mean lots of different things, but to really take seriously when there are signs that you're not doing well and that your anxiety is out of control. So is the best kind of way to to tackle that just to kind of journal what you're going through and, and reflect on that? And, and I'm just trying to think like, what are, so say I keep waking up in the middle of the night and I've gone through stints of this where I'll wake up and, I'm consistently getting up at 3 a.m. looking at email and especially around if I'm launching something or, um, you know, something big is happening in my business where I'll keep doing that. But I, I don't really know how to treat that, I guess. I, I just let it happen and I let it keep, you know, I keep doing it. And um, I mean, I haven't done this in a while, but I, I just remember not really knowing what to do, not really knowing how to... Um, outside of maybe jotting down in a notebook, like today was good or today was not good. And here's why. Yeah. Um, is there any really kind of like practical advice that you might have around that? I think, well, so waking up at three in the morning is probably a symptom rather than the problem. Uh-huh. So 
asking like, what's this, what's the problem? What are you really worried about? What are you afraid of? And is that a rational fear? Um, and, and having like somebody to talk that through with, whether that's, um, a mastermind group or a confidant or your spouse or therapist or a pastor or, you know, somebody who can help ask some good questions. Because I think sometimes when we wake up at three in the morning, we're worried about things, but we don't necessarily know exactly what it is. And so we spin our wheels and check our email and like kind of try to do things that feel productive or feel helpful, but we're not actually sure what we're, what we're worried about, right? you know, what the real problem is. And so, um, I think a lot of those things get, get fleshed out a little bit in conversation with other people who are pretty helpful in asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm in a mastermind. I'm also in kind of a group chat room that is with people like me. And I think, um, I think that's really what, what has helped me the most has been knowing that, um, when I'm able to kind of vocalize, like I'm waking up and I'm worried, well, what am I worried about? Nothing. And just kind of putting that out on the table, it's been, it's been eye opening for me, like being able to vocalize that to somebody else, just the act of saying it to somebody has been the answer that I've needed. It hasn't been, it's not like they responded with some, like, you know, some, some phrase or, or advice that really opened my eyes. It was me putting it out on the table and exposing it out in the open. That has probably been the best, um, the best way to solve that. Yeah. And I think that's true for a a lot of things in kind of the entrepreneur world in that there aren't necessarily like a lot of clear problems with clear solutions. If there were, it would be, it'd be really easy and lots of people would do it and be successful, but there's a lot of ambiguity and complicated decisions and complicated fears. And so the things that wake us up at three in the morning aren't necessarily something specific or something very definable, but it's real nonetheless, and it should be attended to even if you can't totally articulate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I also wanted to ask you to, to kind of go back to the family life uh, or to go back to family life. I've never, uh, having talked to a lot of people who are either running their own business or getting out into consulting or, um, you know, just doing something that, that is very much them in front of a screen producing stuff. Um, I've never been good at kind of working with my spouse, who is by far the most important and most active person in my life, about what I do, what concerns I have. I mean, I've always felt like if I have a business problem, I've kept it from my wife. And I've, I just, you know, I figured she has enough on her plate. It probably isn't uh, going to help her you know, to, to have something else on her plate that she really doesn't have any input on fixing. But I found that that probably isn't the best way to take things, especially if I kind of like internalize my concerns. And then over time, it just kind of gets to a boiling point point where I just kind of explode and we end up getting in a fight. And the fight isn't really about me having a problem with her. It's more about me having a problem with work that has just been accelerating. And it got to the point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that something, I assume that's probably a, a common thing or, or something that a lot of people who kind of run their own business might face where they don't actually, you know, they, I, and I think this is probably where masterminds come back into play, where yeah. you, you have that ability to kind of vent 
Um, but I, uh, but outside of that, I mean, most of us don't have our spouses in our masterminds. So like, should that be something that we try to work with our spouse to get them to understand? Like, I'm always trying to explain to my wife what I do, but she still doesn't get the details and that's fine. I mean, she's not a computer person. Like that's not her thing, but, um, yeah. So any, any thoughts on that? Oh, lots of thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, there are so many ways to do it, to do it well. So I think whatever combination you and your spouse work out is is what's important. And um, I got to talk on on TechSync with um, with Sandy, Jason's wife, and Georgie, uh, Justin's wife, and we all have really different ways of doing it. You know, Sandy is very involved in Jason's work. I am not at all really involved in Rob's work in the sense that I don't watch the business account. I don't know what's happening with the budget. I don't, you know, he makes his hiring decisions and I, I just am not involved at all in the day-to-day running of the business. Um, but I think that there's a lot of conversation that has to happen around that, you know, asking your spouse, what do you want to know? What, what pieces do you want me to make sure that I tell you about? And I think in a sense, there's also just the normative, how was your day? Like what's happening in your life kinds of questions. And, and so there is certainly an amount of sharing that happens that where you're just talking about, you know, are you doing well? Are you struggling? Are you frustrated? Is, are great things happening? And, and you get to share those things with your spouse. But I also think that you're, you know, it is, it is not required of our spouses that they are also experts in our field of practice. And I, a few, uh, I guess a few months ago or a few weeks ago, I can't remember, Rob was talking to me a little bit about, um, Google and the not provided thing. <laughs> right. You know about. Uh-huh. And I was like, Oh my gosh, is head tail going under? You know, I was just so like worried about it. It totally freaked me out. And he's like, no, it's, you know, it's okay. It's, it's not great, but it's fine. It's going to be okay. Like the bills will be paid. Um, and so in a sense, it was this piece of information that I just couldn't do anything about. I couldn't be helpful. I had no idea how to help him solve that problem or, um, and so it just created a lot of worry for me. <laughs> right. Right. But that's also, if he was an attorney and he had trouble with a case, like those are, those are conversations that happen in the married life, depending like across the, the scope of people's profession. Um, so it's not that we have to hide those things from our spouses or not tell them, but I think we have to be realistic about what kind of intervention we want from them, like how much, how much we want them to be involved in the solving of those problems or advising about those problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had in my I had in my head earlier that because I, I recently just hired somebody to kind of be my um, kind of full time assistant, I guess, right? Who does support for me, does a lot of different things, email support, things like that. And at first, I had this great idea, like you know, my wife's at home, she's a stay at home mom, she would be great at that. And um, the more I talked to people, and actually, the more I talked to my wife Deborah, the more I, I realized, like. You know, in a per- in a perfect world, that sounds great. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I know a lot of people who are kind of husband and wife teams, like the wife is a designer, the husband's a developer or something, and they do great work. But I, uh, I think that's more of the exception than the rule where mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I mean, I think that's why so many businesses say, 
like family members aren't able to work here together, you know, mm-hmm. f- for the reason that um, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's part of that whole work-life balance. Like when you, yeah. when you bring somebody like that into your business, um, you know, it could actually end up hurting the, the family relationship and the business, but sure. you don't want to get to the point where you just have like, the only knowledge they have is the amount of money in the bank account. They have no idea about what you go through every day. And I think any of it is perfect for the right couple. You know, like I think there are couples who do it really well to be, you know, 50, 50 partners in the business and they're involved together in everything. And then, you know, Rob and I have a more separate model where, we have very different disciplines and jobs and sometimes we overlap in things like this. And this is really, really, really fun for me to be able to, to dabble in his world a little bit. Um, but I think that separateness is also good, at least for us. It's, it's really fun for me to sort of sit back and watch him be, be successful and watch him have these great moments where he launches a new product and I get to cheer him on and celebrate that. And then I get to, support him when it's not going well. But I, I don't have such a, a big stake in his, the success of his company that I can't, you know, it's not, it's not sort of psychologically muddled for me. Like I can just say, yes, you're doing great. And I'm so proud of you or, Hey, I'm here for you when it's not going well. And, and I like that level of involvement. I want to know the successes and the failures and I want to know how it's going on a daily basis. But I don't need the details and I don't know what to do with the details anyway. So, right. It would just be noise for you. I mean, you, there's nothing that like my wife knowing that there's a certain bug I'm running into or something. I mean, that doesn't. Right. It, it's kind of like if, if there's something going on in her life that I don't understand, I just get frustrated because as an engineer, I want to fix things, but I don't know how to fix that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 If I asked Rob to help me figure out what to do with a, with a psychotic patient, like it would just freak him out and <laughs> know what to do. And right. I, I can just ask him to sort of comfort me as I deal with something difficult at my work. And that's, that's good. That's valuable. But for him to try to solve that problem for me, doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, cool. So last question I wanted to ask you was about um, kind of, I guess, giving up. So, or maybe giving up isn't the right way to put it, but uh, going back to the relative safety and security of a full-time job. So a lot of, a lot of, especially new consultants, they look at the fact that there's ups and downs and that those ups and downs can affect their family life because families tend to run off of, you know, the idea of fixed expenses, your mortgage, your, you know, tuition, whatever you're paying for. And, um, you know, consulting or running a business by definition is kind of uh, at least superficially unstable. Whereas, you know, when you have a salary job, it, the idea is, okay, great. I've got this paycheck coming every two weeks. I can budget against this. Um, it's always not as easy for people. Um, again, most people just starting out um, run into the problem where you, you might not make a lot in uh, December. Maybe a client was late on a payment or something. And, um, you know, I, I just know a lot of people end up letting fear kind of drive them away from running their own business. And, um, you know, I, I think these fears can be conquered. I think a lot of these fears are kind of, uh, unfounded, but I've been there and I understand 
what, where these fears are coming from. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess psychologically I was interested in, like, are these... I'm just trying to figure out, like, are these fears... Um, I mean, granted, I don't think running your, running your own business is for everyone. I'm going to put that out on the table. I think there are some people who um, would prefer not to do that. I mean, it, it is it involves a lot of additional overhead, mental overhead that you need to kind of take on. But for people who do think that they can do it and, and set out to do it, but then kind of uh, get, you know, get over overburdened by uh, fear and concern, mm-hmm. um, is there anything, I mean... I, I assume to a degree you, I mean, your practice is your own startup or your own business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob's thing is his. Is there any kind of recommendations you might have for somebody who um, legitimately can succeed running your own business, but might get kind of sidetracked or, or demotivated by fear? Yeah. I mean, I, I think in one sense, I appreciate you saying that it's not for everybody because I, I hope that people don't feel ashamed if they decide it's not for them. Um, in the sense that these endeavors are really hard and doing something hard and experiencing the pain and anxiety of it, that's fine. But when it sort of goes into like suffering, like they're just chronically not doing well and not loving it and overwhelmed, then maybe it's, it's not the right decision for them or for their family. And that's, you know, that's okay. We only, we only have one life. So, um, trying to force something that's not working is, is, you know, pretty damaging. Absolutely. Um, And there's nothing wrong in that. Yeah. But for folks who, who probably have all of the ingredients for success, but are deterred by feeling afraid or maybe excessively afraid, I think there's a couple of things that are, are helpful. And this is where, you know, looking at data, as much data as you can, like letting the decision to go on or not go on be as unemotional as possible is important. Um, You know, for us, when Rob started to make the transition from consulting to um, running his own products and having his own businesses, um, you know, there was a minimum amount that he needed to make each month that we agreed on as a family, like we need this money. And I don't care if you get it from consulting or working at Starbucks or from selling products online, but this is kind of the bottom line piece of data. Like this needs to happen. And gradually over time, that money came less from consulting and more from products. And so the shift was, but it it was a very clear marker of, is this working monetarily for our, our family? And as long as it's working, great. When it's working, we have to problem solve. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't there wasn't a need to be afraid sense like, is this going to work next month? Is it going to work forever? Is it going to work in five years? It, it was more like, okay, this month we met our number and it worked good. Next month we met our number and it worked good. A lot of fear comes from a desire to predict and control the future, which none of us get to do. I mean, we can plan really well and, and, um, take great steps to form our business as well, but there's a certain amount of lack of control that we kind of just have to be comfortable with. And I think, um, the, the pressure to feel like we are in control and the pressure to feel like we have to control all the details of our businesses is kind of false expectation. 
Right. Does right. that make sense? I mean, there's there's a balance between doing due diligence and paying attention to what's going on, but also accepting that you're just not in control of everything. Yeah. yeah. And not trying to not trying to be. Oh, and that's that's definitely something that I I know. Um, it's been a big issue with me is uh, that kind of lack of lack of control over. I guess, environmental inputs that can kind of mess up what you had planned, right? And, I mean, a lot of us, I think, are overly ambitious and kind of um, naively optimistic, I think, when we go and start something new and we think, you know, uh, we just have these images in our head of, like, you know, oh, happily coding away at a Starbucks and, you know, everything's great and smiling clients and smiling customers and everything else. Um, but I think I think... What I got out of what you just said, and, and I think the biggest thing that I think people need to kind of aim for is these kind of small victories. Like, you know, instead of looking at it as like, I'm not a success until I get to like, for instance, where Rob Walling is today. I think what you, the, the healthier, the better uh, approach is saying, how can I get to, um, you know, how can I get that first customer or how can I get that first customer who I've never met or how can I get... Um, my mortgage covered fully by my product like that, that with products for me, I, I looked at it as, okay, great. It's paying now my five-year-old's Montessori tuition. Great. Now it's paying my, uh, my mortgage for my house. You know, <laughs> and that, those were like the milestones for me because they were directly kind of, it wasn't just some number. It was something real in my mind, right? It was something actual in my life, which it's kind of, a, you want to play the, like the business strategy, you know, you want to play the, the long, the long view. You want to play the long game, but emotionally you want to play the short game. Mm -hmm. Like today the worked and this month these bills were covered. So Sherry, thank you again so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And it's always good to have somebody who is kind of outside of the echo chamber that me and a lot of my colleagues kind of live within, within to kind of weigh in on, what we're doing from a, from an outside medical perspective. And that's, that's awesome. So if people want to find out more about you, uh, what's the best place to do that? Sure. Um, I'm, I'm like, Oh, is my website accurate right now? <laughs> uh, yeah. I have a website, sherrywalling.com that just talks about the various um, things that I'm involved with right now. And then um, I'm on Twitter at uh, Zen founder, is my Twitter handle. And um, people can email me at uh, gmail.com if they want to get a hold of me that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Sherry Walling as much as I did. I know when she was reading off her email address, uh, there was a hiccup with Skype. So her email, if you want to get in contact with Sherry, is sherrywalling, W-A-L-L-I-N-G, at gmail.com. So that's it. I've... Uh, recorded actually three new episodes that I haven't uh, published yet, but the good news is um, I've already queued them up in WordPress to go out over the next three weeks. So if you are a active listener, I know we've had uh, a few scheduling issues or a few scheduling uh, downtimes, um, but the good news is over the next few weeks, there should be a consistent output of the Business of Freelancing podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or have any feedback for me, my email address is brennan, B-R-E-N-N-A-N, at planscope.io. I would love a review on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast and would like 
it to be more successful. And I also, I'm toying with the idea of um, having almost like a, a live freelancing answers uh, um, version of this podcast that I might do once a month. And I'm investigating different ways of hosting a call-in show where I'll have a guest and we can you can call in live. I'll stream the episode live and also obviously record it on iTunes. Uh, but you'll be able to call in and get your questions answered uh, to the best of our ability uh, over the air. So it's a little like uh, what you might find in some of the talk radio um, uh, radio outlets, I guess, or radio programs. But uh, this one being uh, purely digital, it won't be syndicated, at least to my knowledge, on any uh, radio stations. So if a live call-in show is of interest to you, definitely reach out and let me know. Um, but again, that is it for this episode, and I will see you again next week for another exciting edition of the Business of Freelancing podcast.